I was battling spiritual warfare. The demons or the familiar spirits or whatnot. They told me I was so spiritually and physically and emotionally poor that they latched onto me and they, uh, I brought them into my house. Um, and there for a good chunk of time, I was going through spiritual warfare every second of every day and every minute. Welcome to Effective Heart Change, where we are passionate about becoming life givers in our circle of influence. We've been doing a series of testimonies that illustrate how to grow through life, grow through the struggles of life. Today, I want to introduce to you some very special guests. We have Jeremy and Bree with us. So good to have you guys in. It's, it's neat to have a little bit different take today, where we have husband and wife. That's very rare for someone to walk through an addiction journey, some of the kinds of things that you've walked through, and keep the marriage together and have it work. So it's an amazing thing. I'm looking so forward to hearing your testimonies and what you guys have to share together. Jeremy, we'll start with you. Welcome. How are you today? Doing great. Thank you for having me and my beautiful wife. We're happy to be here. <laughs> and Bree, what, yeah. how is it sitting in studio today? <laughs> It's a little nerve-wracking, but it's all right. I'm happy I'm able to be here. It's so good to have both of you. I'll, I'll start off, Jeremy, with you. Let's have a brief timeline of some of the events so that people have a chance to see the big picture of what you've been through. I've played a lot of sports since I was about five years old um, and kind of relied on myself pretty, pretty often, at least through the, most of my life. Um, and mainly started whenever I hurt my back uh, at my job. Went kind of downhill from there. The spiritual and um, emotional shutdown had already been obtained for several years to where it didn't bother me. And God wasn't able to start talking to me until the, the physical um, pain started to come across. And then that's when things went downhill pretty quick. Um, that's when, you know, I Jumped into work a lot more. I was a workaholic. Uh, then the doctor was giving me pain medication, and I was drinking on top of it. And that's when the negative stuff really started compounding into my life. Uh, and when the problems at home started uh, pretty heavily. You're speaking about the negative things mm -hmm. and, and how they compounded. You went through a very dark journey. People would have called it psychotic, psychotic. Or, 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 uh -huh. or whatever. I mean, you, you were in a zone where you really didn't have a good grip on reality. Not a good grip on reality whatsoever. I had to be admitted into the behavioral health unit four to five times um, to, try and, to try to make sense of what was going on. And I, I reached out to to doctors, psychiatrists, and pastors, and uh, ministers in Salina to try to wrap my head around what was happening to me. So you were playing both sides of the fence, if you will. You were, you were doing the spiritual side, which is where you started with the language here, and trying to work through that. You were doing the medical or behavioral side and, and working that and really reaching out for help in a lot of different directions. Yes, that was the only way that I could find it. 
Um, I'd been through AA, NA, and treatment centers maybe like eight to nine times. That's not counting the times that I woke up there and I made Brianna come get me. So it was a very dark place for an extended period of time. Very much so. Bree, talk to us about your experience during that period of time. I was, let's see, when we first started, I was pregnant with our second child. Um, I was diving myself into work. My mother was dying of cancer. Um, so I was just trying to keep my eye on God and work. I didn't really care much about him at the point because I was like, he's going to do what he wants to do. I got to focus on me and this baby. and um, So it was really, really hard, but I was focused on mom. I was focused on God, focused on my job. Um, and then we had our second child, and then it just escalated. And then I found out when he was in rehab that I was pregnant again. So I was like, felt like a midlife crisis to me, you know, like, why God, why are you giving me another child when we're experiencing such trials, like deep, like, um, deep stuff. And, um, I even like, was like, do I keep the baby? Like, what do I do? Like I talked to my sister and it was just like, it was, um, it was not a good place for me being pregnant and going through it, but I have to contribute um, my church at the time that I was going to for keeping me accountable and um, being there for me. I don't think I would have made it through without them. You guys are describing a very dark time, but that's still not even all of the story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jeremy, I happen to know more of your backstory. Mm-hmm. Go back a ways, uh, childhood, on through some of the things you went in there, which again, I believe are very formative. Share a little bit about that. So I, I split half of my time in Texas and half in on Table Rock Lake in Missouri. Um, so in every one of those places, I dove into sports and at an unhealthy level. I did that because it was really sick at home. Um, No matter what man that my mother brought into our house, uh, he had his flaws and his downsides. And either it was abuse to my mom or it turned out to be abuse to me. Um, But I don't blame my mother. She was just trying to make a better life and she was in addiction herself. Um, I know that she was a good person. but yeah, the men that she brought home, one of them turned out to be a meth cook. And I had the FBI raid my house and I got taken into protective custody because they robbed a jewelry store and hid thousands of dollars worth of jewels at our house and ended up getting taken away from my mom and moved in with my uncle in Texas. Um, and at that point, that's when my mother passed away. She lost her life in a car accident. And I kind of blamed myself for that for a long time because I wasn't there to help her. You spoke a little bit about shutdown. That's language that I use. When pain gets so intense, at some point you stop feeling. You either throw yourself into work, which you already mentioned you were a workaholic, or you rage. You know, it's kind of interesting. Sometimes people say shutdown, rage. Well, people go into rage in order to feel something, in order to control their life. So 
there's rage, there's, there's just shut down. In your case, you've got this really nice personality. So mm -hmm. rage wasn't your style. It would be some kind of escape. And obviously you talk about the psychotic and all the different stuff that just came in, took over. If you were to describe the years, think about that. How much of it was that shut down, that meaninglessness? What would you say you felt through the different years? A whole lot of nothing. It's super sad to say, and it, you know, it troubles my heart a lot. I didn't even love myself or my family until I learned what love was, and I hadn't really opened up that part of my, my life until um, moved into a house with a bunch of other people, learned how to love people and pour into people. And the, other, the one that was hard for me was let other people pour into me. Uh, I wasn't okay with that for a long period of time. So it was nice for, to be able to learn what that is. And it's made going home a lot. So that was a huge step for you. Sounds like more than anything else was just learning to wake that up and be interactive with people. It was a great thing. I, we've talked about this several times. Uh, Pastor Jim from Journey had me call you because they kept trying me to, for me to get into the house. And I told you I would stay for a couple of weeks. And you're like, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> and then I didn't talk to you again for several years. But, and then I ended up coming back, and it was the best thing for me. We went through the normal procedure of you came, you checked it out. I told you what I thought was needed. And you said, no, thank you. I'm not willing to pay that price. And so you backed off. And that happens a lot. And many times people come to me saying, what can I do? And I come back and say, the most significant question is, are you willing? Are you willing to do what you need to do to get better? You went through that. You came, you rejected it. You went through more trauma. Then you came back and then you were willing to do what you needed to do. I felt like God was speaking to me um, before. So it happened I left the house. I was like down on my knees praying and I was like, Lord, what do I do? Like my son has just seen, he had a little bit of a rage episode and he like flipped a table over in front of Carter who was four at the time and I was pregnant and I was like, I, I can't do this. And then I found some drugs upstairs in our bathroom and I was like down on my knees. I was at home at the time and I was like, Lord, I can't do this. I, I'm a stay at home mom. Like I have nowhere to go. He's the only income. I was like, what do I do? And I just remember being on my knees, my hands in the air, and just cry, literally crying out to God. I'm like, what do I do? Help me. Um, within two weeks, well, right after that, he's like, start packing. And I'm like, start packing? Where, where am I going? Like, you're funny. No, like, I have nowhere to go. So I listened, I started packing, and um, within two weeks, I had the homeless prevention program got me into an apartment, and I told Jeremy, I was like, I'm leaving, like, I'm not staying here, I can't do this, like, um, and then fast forward a few months, I gave in to him and let him move back into me where I was getting funding from the housing coalition, and that was not good, and well, we ended up moving together to um, Kirshner, and then that's when the psychosis really started with him. And the Lord told me then, get him out of your house. You stay here, get him out. And I'm like, how, again, like, how, like, how do I make him leave? Like, when he's like that. 
And he's like, he will die if you keep him in your house. He's like, get him out. I will take care of him. So I told him, you got to go. You're not welcome here anymore. And um, I called his sister to come get him and take him to Salina. And that was probably, that was the turning point. That was the rock bottom. That was, that was very hard. But at that point, my emotions had shut off. I think God allowed my emotions to shut down and just, nope, made me stand firm. And at that point, I kind of had, I was resenting him like I wanted nothing. Are you willing is such a powerful question, and you got to the point to where you were willing to do what you needed to do. In this case, you can call it self-protection, self-preservation, preservation of the family, but you got to a point where you knew you had to do something, you were willing, and that actually ends up sending a message to him to where then he has to make some choices. Tell us a little bit about your perspective during that period of time. Very much, it was very chaotic. Um, but also with that chaos, there was moments of peace and clarity, a still small voice that was ringing in my head of truths that still I have memory of to, you know, to this day. God kept telling me, say what you do and do what you say. Those were always big things, parts of my life, especially if I didn't have a father, of trying to learn what to be a man was, and that's what my idea of it was. And somewhere along the line of that, I lost track of that, and those weren't lining up whatsoever. Um, but, and he kept telling me that he had to break me down to build me back up. Because it felt, I felt that I achieved so much on my own um, that I didn't need anybody. Um, and he, like I said, he kept telling me, I have to uh, break you down to build you back up. That's interesting because people who are able to be successful a lot of times then resist anything in terms of outside help. Shutdown many times actually is a condition that helps people be successful in the work world. They're willing to do anything, they're willing to say anything, they'll push their own bodies, and it sounds like that shutdown actually translated to a level of success in the work world, other places for you. Mm -hmm. I have a very addictive personality, so my addiction was work, and then that addiction it changed uh, into alcohol and pain pills and whatever. I didn't let my two addictions transfer. That actually came out of the back injury, the original back injury that you had. I, I believe that you shared that. It was before the opioid epidemic had finally really kicked off, um, and they were still just writing scripts like I was calling paper. him. I would call his doctor, and I was like, you're giving him more medication. Like, I recorded when I called them, who I talked to, how much they were giving him, because I was like, I got to the point where I was like, if you kill if my husband dies, like, I'm suing you, because they just kept writing and writing. And I told them, I said, he's abusing them and you continue to prescribe them. And they're like, well, he's due. And I'm like, he just went through 30 pills in three days, like less than three days. But they, it was crazy. <laughs> and how the medical system works, I didn't quite understand. I would go to treatment for alcoholism while I was being prescribed hundreds of pain pills uh, a month. And I'd convince myself, I'd quit drinking. I'll just take my pain pills. And then vice versa, you know, I'll quit taking my pain pills and just start drinking, you know, to, to cope with the pain. But 
I had, like I said, an addictive personality, whatever it is I did, I did to an extreme and an unhealthy level. Well, your deeper addiction, actually, I would come back to everyone's greatest strength is their greatest weakness. Your deepest addiction is you love people. They're, they're, you have a deep need for harmony. You have a deep need for connection. And what came out of your mother and what came out of the childhood and all of the trauma that was there was shutdown. Well, in shutdown, you can't connect. You didn't know what your, quote, addiction was, which is that internal stuff, but it was manifesting in this outward stuff. And if all we do is treat the outward stuff, the inward stuff doesn't get better. And that was a lie from Satan. He kept telling me, and you, Brianna can vouch for this. I, I hate people. I would tell her I hate people. And whenever I went to treatment in Salina, I would call her and I told her when I was moving into sober living, she's like, you don't like people. And I was like, no, I love people. I really do. That's what I really thought he was crazy. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, during that period, you had pretty much lost hope. Yep. You, you were actually pursuing a divorce during that time frame. Yes. Just talk about your frame of mind. I always tell people, I feel like God took my desire for him as my husband away um, to allow him to do the healing. He needed to be the husband he is now. Um, I mean, in that time, I was diving myself into church more. I mean, anything that would keep me out of my house with my kids and help with my kids is what I did. We would, I went to CR on Tuesday nights. Um, we went to, I don't know, just anything I could. The boys did Awanas on Wednesday nights. Like every church, I was in like three different churches every week, just pouring myself in because honestly, without God, I feel like I would have probably been right where he was. So, What you're describing, we actually do two things. Mm -hmm. We draw strength from God, draw strength from others, and obviously you're combining the yep. two in that, and so that was your lifeline. Yes. That helped keep you alive. You already mentioned that in essence that was your lifeline. You moved in and you started figuring out how to be open and connect with others. Talk about what that looked like as that was waking up. It was very, very difficult in the beginning, learning how to interact with other people um, because I'd been shut down for years and years and years. Um, and in the beginning, I didn't know if it was, gonna, if it was working um, because my outcomes hadn't, weren't getting any better in the beginning when I was in the Oxford house. Uh, it was still the same outcomes, but I was going to church, I was attending meetings, I was going to celebrate recovery, I was doing, going to men's encounters, doing everything I needed, and it, it still wasn't working, but it, I stayed consistent with it, and that's when the fruit started to come. Um, I was able to minister to atheists. Um, I was able to minister to people in the house, um, and that was a, a blessing from God. It was when I, I learned that God working through me, I could actually reach other people and help other people. And the Oxford House was a back was a beginning to that, like a lighting of the candle, and then moving here was the awakening, the opening of what my life is. When you say moving here was an awakening, what was different, or or how did it accelerate to a new level? My time in Oxford House was a great experience with getting to know people, but my spiritual beliefs weren't so much accepted as strongly as they are here. Um, you know, there was people that were fresh in faith and were choosing different 
uh, means to get clean and sober. Um, and it, there was conflict with, between those sometimes. But like I said, God put times uh, where I, could, I was able to minister to those people and pour life into those people and, and love on them um, when they weren't very loving themselves. So then you came to our program, and obviously the faith piece was much more open. That helped you bloom at that particular point. Yes, I needed the faith piece, and I like um, rules and guidelines, and there was clear rules and guidelines, and God was there uh, with his hand on each one of them, so it felt like home. You're a people person. Was there a particular person or persons that really sewed into you that made a difference? I tell, uh, Ken was my house leader whenever I first moved here. Um, I, I liked him. He, he wasn't no choice in what you got to do. You were, he, wanted, he made you go to it. And I think that's what excelled uh, my time here because I got to where I enjoyed those going. I enjoyed being uh, to all the groups. I enjoyed being to go to church every Wednesday night. I enjoyed w everything. Um, and it became like a new lifestyle. That I... What you're saying is interesting to me because a lot of times people say, well, I like that or I don't like that, and they allow that to rule them. You're describing something that I think is very normal. We start to like what is normal and having been forced, which we don't like to do too hard, but we want to do a little more gently. Uh -huh. Having been forced, you actually started to figure out that this is helpful and I like this. And I knew the way that I had been living wasn't working, so I was willing to try a different, something different. During that period where he was just getting started, what were you seeing? When he first came, I wasn't too fond of it. I was like, great, here we go. It's just going to get worse. Um, but then he would pick the, the kids would go visit and he would just be kind. And um, the way he was with the kids was totally different, like more loving and nurturing, more like father-like, you know, not just roommate. Um, I saw a change. I mean, it took a, took a year, over a year before I was okay with letting him back into my heart. Um, but we, I started going to church with him every other Sunday out at Freedom and um, was shifting back and forth between my church and Freedom. And so, I mean, it was a gradual change, but um, just that emotionally available he was versus so closed off. And what was that like for you before he wasn't emotionally available and all of a sudden he's different? Was that hard or was that easy? I, at first it was hard because I was bound and determined that we were getting divorced. So I was like, okay, God, why are you allowing him to do this? I'm like, he's in this program. He needs to stay in this program. Like, I'm waiting on your, on your timing. Um, I think the moment that kind of triggered it, like for me to start falling for him again was, Whenever I served him with the divorce papers, I was like, will you please just sign these so we can get this over with? And he was like, no, God told me we don't need to get divorced. And I was like, you're crazy, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> But then I was like praying on it, and I told God, I was like, is that really your desire, or is he just being crazy? Um, and then God started showing me more change and more uh, of that 
I don't know, sweetness, like, you know, um, like loving person that I've always wanted in a husband. Um, and so then I was falling more and more. Um, and it was weird at first because, I mean, we'd been together for four years, five years, four or five years. And I never knew that side of my husband. And I was, it's nice though. It was, felt good. <laughs> Looking back, what would you say are the keys? What were the key pivot points? Anything that you can think of that would be helpful to other people to hear from you? I would say losing everything, but that's not something that people want to do on purpose. Having, if you can put your faith into something else before you lose everything, you can save your life before that happens and a lot of heartache and stuff. I mean, that was a pivot point for me, having absolutely nothing. Not a job, not my car, not my family, not my, not my wife, not a single penny to my name, no place to live. All that thing was a, I knew that the way I was living life wasn't working. But in that, God was still pouring into me when I had that, whenever I was going through all that. He, he loved me enough in my lowest to put his hand out to pull me out of it. What you describe with the shutdown that goes all the way back to childhood is one of the most difficult conditions for a person to deal with because they almost always have to get to that point of total low, total nothing, nothing I can depend on because it's so scary to come out of that place of control, which is what shutdown is, back into, wow, I'm living now with no control over life. Who knows where it's going? Who knows what's going to happen? That's a scary place for people to go. Talk to me about your current life. Uh, it's amazing what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. share, share a little bit about that. Blessed to work here for Live Free Ministries. Um, I get to pour out love and, uh, on people all day for a living. Um, I get to help people. I get to watch God work in people's lives. I get to step-by-step -step work with people and watch um, God move in their life. And that is a true blessing. And, you know, it transfers into home. I get to watch God work in my family's life and my kids' life. Like he always has, but I wasn't open to it. I didn't understand it. So just the ability, I would assume working here is probably one of the reasons why, you know, I've remained um, moving forward, you know, because uh, in any 12-step program you work, giving away what you have received is the last thing to do. And I get to do that every single day I wake up. And that's good. We initially described your job as volunteer services coordinator, but you've really transitioned into being a peer mentor where you help people take the journey that you took. And, and you do that in a very amazing way. And so I want to compliment you in that. You're, you're a great fit for that position and you do excellent work. Are there any keys that you feel like help you do that because you do it very well? Everything that I learned while I was in the program, um, accepting people for who they are, not expecting them to act outside of their character um, was a really big one. And loving people through their character, that's the toughest one every day. Loving people through their flaws, through their downfalls, sticking with them no matter what they're going through. Um, God just put certain people in my life, and he took me step by step to do that, and it's amazing to be able to do that with other people.
Bree, as you're watching him, it, I, I know my wife would uh, sympathize with you a little bit. Yeah. There, there's a lot of highs, a lot of lows, hard times. How are you responding watching him do this work? Um, I enjoy it um, for the most part. <laughs> you know, some days are a struggle. He gets home just emotionally and mentally exhausted. But um, I'd rather see that than the old, old Jeremy. So it's a blessing to be able to watch him moving in people's lives and how much he's loved in the program and how much people love me. And I don't even know half of them <laughs> just based on our testimony and our story that he's told them. So um, it, it's, it's truly a blessing. I want to open it up now and give either of you a chance to share. What, what would you like to give people a chance to hear as they're listening to this testimony time? Faith and obedience in God, if you feel something strongly in your heart and from other people, um, don't be pressured or pulled in by the world or other people to do something that you believe in your heart to, to not be what God wants. Um, it might be uncomfortable, it might be hard at times, but our life is nothing compared or to what they lived back in the day, so um, just stay, stay faithful and stay obedient. Um, yeah, I'm speaking from the other point of view. Um, it, I mean, if you're struggling, um, find church, find your community, um, dive yourself in, like find your pastor, any, um, anybody connected with God is where you've got to turn to. There's no other option from what I've learned. So, um, find somebody that you trust and can talk to and, um, they can help you through it. The enemy wants you to believe that you're the only one that goes through it, and God won't pull you out of that, so there's no way to live but to keep living in it. That's a lie. Um, other people love you and care about you and want you to, to see victory. You just have to reach out, and God loves you enough. When you say that, many times you can get trapped in circles where that actually isn't true. You don't have people in your circle who can get out of their own selfishness enough to love you, but there are groups, there are places, and there is hope. There's hope in Christ, and Bree, as you brought up, there's hope, hopefully, in the church. Find a healthy church, find healthy people who will reach out and pour into you. Well, Jeremy and Bree, it was really fun to have both of you together. I think that creates a uniqueness in the testimony that we don't get when we just have one person here. And so thank you both for coming and joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. We want to thank you for joining us. And we want to encourage you, if you're being blessed by these videos, pass it on to somebody else. We really believe that these can be teaching training tools, as well as inspiring messages. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for passing it on. We are passionate about becoming life givers in our circle of influence. Join us in that work.